I had one of those moments this past week where uh, I opened up my Facebook and on my Facebook news feed, right at the top was a memory of a post that I posted 11 years ago. Uh, I had just landed in Los Angeles with about 15 other guys as we were uh, going to help out a church just outside Los Angeles uh, and help them with some work for about a week and a half. And it was the first time that I'd ever been to California, and it was the first time that I'd ever seen the mountains out west. Uh, And apparently I was so amazed by it that I had to snap a picture and post it on Facebook for everyone else to be amazed too. Uh, Which, the picture didn't do justice, but I still had to let everyone know that I'm seeing this amazing mountain right now. But it got even better. Uh, We were staying at a host house, and when we got to the house, we went out in the backyard, and they had a beautiful patio with a pool and a, a hot tub with no neighbors behind them and just mountains. And so every morning for a week and a half, I got up, had my coffee, and sat on the back porch just being completely amazed and in awe of these mountains. They were amazing. And like I said, I had to let everyone else know about them. Because not only did I take pictures in the car on the way there, but I took several pictures uh, from the patio while I'm drinking my coffee at that view because it was amazing. Have you ever felt that? That just this awe, this feeling of awe and amazement and overwhelmed as you looked at something or experienced something. As you looked and, and, and you were just overcome by just how amazing that is. Have you ever had it for Jesus? Have you ever been so in awe and amazed by our Savior where you're just filled with an overwhelming amount of awe and you just want to look and be and observe Him? It's what people in the Gospel of Mark experienced. And we're going to see what it was and what that looks like in our lives today. We're in Mark chapter 1 in this series called Race to the Cross. As I said at the beginning of the service, uh, Mark is a book that's different from Matthew, Luke, and John uh, because Mark doesn't focus so much on Jesus' teaching as much as on what Jesus does. Mark is writing to Romans who are... Uh, people who like to be impressed with others. People who had the Roman gods, the Greek mythology, uh, and if there's a God, he's big and impressive. And so Mark's book uh, is kind of split in half where the first part is all about the impressive Son of God of Jesus. The second half is what makes this impressive Son of God uh, so impressive He's a suffering servant on behalf of his people. So today, Jesus enters a synagogue and the people are completely amazed and blown away. Here's what we're told. First two verses, uh, Mark 1, 21 and 22. They went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority not as the teachers of the law. Stop right there. Uh, Who's they? That's Jesus and his disciples. Right before this uh, account, Jesus called his first disciples to him. And then they went to Capernaum. And if you can picture the map, 
You've got Jerusalem down here at the bottom with the Dead Sea, the Jordan River goes, if you go north in the Jordan River, you get to the Sea of Galilee. At the very tip of the Sea of Galilee is a city called Capernaum. Uh, It served kind of as Jesus' ministry headquarters. Not that he actually declared it was, but he kept coming back to Capernaum. He kept coming back to Capernaum. And here, on the Sabbath, Jesus enters a synagogue. What's a synagogue? What's interesting, if you, if you read all the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi, you will not run into the word synagogue one time. And then all of a sudden you turn to Mark chapter 1, and there's a synagogue. So what is it? <laughs> Around 580 BC, the, the kingdom of Judah was taken over by Babylon, and the, pe- the majority of people were uh, deported east to Babylon. Uh, About 70 years later, they were released from their captivity and made their way back to the Holy Land. The temple was way down in Jerusalem that they rebuilt, but people also settled all over the Middle East, including up by Capernaum. And nobody was going to travel over 100 miles on a Sabbath just to go to the temple. And so what did they set up? They set up synagogues, uh, which were gathering places Uh, for Saturday, the day of worship, where they came and they listened to God's word being spoken and then talked about. And then during the week, Monday through Friday, uh, Jewish boys would go and learn the law. They would get educated in the law of Moses in the Old Testament. So it's Saturday, it's Sabbath, Jesus is entering the synagogue and people know that he's an up-and-coming rabbi, up-and-coming teacher, and so they ask him to say some words. And notice what the people walked away with amazement. The people were amazed, we're told, at his teaching. Why? Because he taught with authority, not like the other teachers of the law. The other teachers would stand up and read the section of scripture, and they'd say, here's what this rabbi said about it. Here's what this rabbi says it means, but here's what I think it means. And everyone left wondering, what does it actually mean? <laughs> Jesus stood up, read, and he said, I don't care what other rabbis said. Let me tell you what it means. And he spoke to them as one who had authority, explaining Scripture in a clear, concise way for them to understand. And they were amazed because Jesus was not like any other rabbi, not any other teacher. And that's your first point today. Jesus is not another rabbi as we look at his teaching here. Jesus is teaching like a th- with authority, and the people recognized it. Jesus is speaking with authority. Why? Because he's the author of it. All of Scripture is from Jesus, is from God. And so Jesus says, I don't need to quote all these other people to t- and, and say what it means. I'm going to tell you what it means. Here's what it means because it's my word. And the people recognized the difference. They recognized that there was a difference in Jesus' teaching that he taught not like the other teachers, but like one who actually knew what he was talking about. And so the people started recognizing Jesus is different. But there's one person who was there who knew exactly who Jesus was. And that's what we hear next. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, 
What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Can you imagine coming to worship on a Sunday morning? Could you imagine here? And as I'm talking, someone stands up who is demon-possessed. That's what happened in that synagogue that day. In in a a holy place where God's word is spoken, where God's word is said, where, where people come to hear God's word, there's a man who is possessed by an impure spirit. And he stands up and he says, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Everyone else is looking, saying, there's something different about Jesus, but we're not sure what. We just know that he's teaching with authority, and he's different than every other rabbi that we've heard. And the demon stands up and says, I know exactly who you are. You're the Holy One of God. What do you want with us? Now today, demon possession is, uh, and demons and angels in the spiritual world is often scoffed at. But demons, just like the devil, they're very real. They're not friendly. They want to destroy us. Uh, Demons are the exact opposite of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, part of that triune God. But what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit comes into our hearts, possesses us, so to speak, and makes us more fully human. What do I mean by that? When we are born into this world, let me more fully human like God intended and created us to be. Because of Adam and Eve, because they sinned, we are born into this world sinful, spiritually dead. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He comes into us, as the word is spoken to us, he comes into our hearts and makes us spiritually alive. He brings us to faith in Jesus as our Savior. And then from that, the Holy Spirit guides us and leads us So we carry out what's called the fruits of the Spirit. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Without the Holy Spirit, we're none of those things. But the Holy Spirit comes and makes us spiritually alive, like God intended, and then live like God intends us to live. Demons do the exact opposite. What do they want? They want to fill us and make us the worst version of ourselves, and even worse, destroy us. Demons and the devil hate God, and how do they get back at God the most? By leading his people away, making them angry, making them irrational, making them spiritually dead, and leading them further and further into spiritual death until we're eventually separated from God for eternity. And so even though sometimes we we may hear that uh, demons are are friendly and, and the devil's no big deal, He is. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing. He comes to us looking like a sheep, but only wants to destroy us. This man is possessed by a demon. And he has no power to escape himself. And that's what makes him so terrifying. You and I have no power against them on our own. They're far more powerful than we are. But look at Jesus. Look at the authority that Jesus has. 
He simply looks at the demon and he says, be quiet. Come out. And what does the demon say? Does he say, come and make me? Is he a good Texan and says, come and take it? (laughs) No. The demon has no choice but to submit to Jesus and come out of the man. Because Jesus is the Holy One of God. He has all authority in heaven and on earth, and the demons must submit to him and come out. And so your second point today, Jesus' authority proves that he's God. This is the whole point that Mark is trying to prove with this account. Romans, remember the the context is writing to the Romans. Romans, you want to know just how powerful Jesus is? The demons submit to him by simply Jesus speaking to them. Jesus' words are so powerful that they don't have a choice. They have to leave. This is the authority of the Son of God, Jesus. And so the question we have to wrestle with today is what kind of authority Jesus has in our life. A demon who hates God submits as soon as Jesus speaks. But what about us who claim to be God's children? Who claim to be believers in Jesus when we hear what Jesus says? Do we respond with the same humility and authority, recognizing the authority of Jesus? Just work through the Gospels. What are some things that Jesus said? He said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds so that they can glorify their Father in heaven. Let your light shine. But what does it look like behind closed doors when we're in the safety and security of our family? When, when, when we feel like I don't have to put on a show, so to speak. Do we still let our light shine? Or do we hide our light? Jesus said, you've heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. And is that our mindset towards people who hurt us, take advantage of us? Or is it, no, I'll be patient to an extent, but if if I'm at a last resort, then I'm going to be violent. Then I'm going to respond with violence. Then I'm going to respond and defend myself. What do we teach our kids? Do we teach them to turn the other cheek? Or do we tell them as a last resort, you can resort to violence? Jesus said, to forgive as you have been forgiven. And yet, do we hear that and say, well, unless if they hurt me really badly. Unless if I feel like I don't want to. I'd rather hold on to a grudge. Jesus said, you've heard that it's said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so do we fight against even lusting, or do we say, well, in in the quietness of my room where no one else is around, I'm going to let my mind wander. Thanks for the suggestion, Jesus. Jesus says, do not worry. Do not worry. 
But do we then say, well, I'm just a worrier. What, what can I do? And, and talk about it like it's a minor character flaw that we have. I'm just a worrier. <laughs> Jesus says, don't worry. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so is Jesus the first one we go to, or is he the last one that we go to? Isn't it interesting? The wind and the waves immediately listen to Jesus' authority. The demons immediately listen to Jesus' authority. The grave immediately listens to Jesus' authority. But we, do we struggle with that? Absolutely. Jesus, who has all authority, the God of this world, do you know what he could easily do? He could look at us and say, depart from me. Depart from me. And do you know how much we could actually change that verdict? Not at all. We would have to depart from him. But our God, Jesus, is not just a hard, holy God. He is a grace-filled, merciful God. Because this God, who could easily send the demons and the devil to hell, who can stop the wind and the waves, who demands holiness from you and me. In fact, he says, be holy, like your Father in heaven is holy. Jesus, what does he say from the cross. Three years later, he shouts out this one word in Greek, tetelestai. It's a word that means, it is finished. And he cried out, it is finished. And it wasn't a cry of a dying man. He wasn't crying out that uh, his life is finished. He cried out a shout that had a, 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 an authoritative declaration that salvation is finished. God's plan to redeem the world was finished. Your salvation was complete. And it's because Jesus died. And it's because Jesus died, and he said it's finished, that the, he, usher, he gives us another authoritative decree. Forgiven. And there's nothing and no one that can change that, because Jesus is God. In fact, we have a, a great account of this in Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah, in the Old Testament, Zechariah sees uh, a vision of Joshua the high priest. And standing before him is the angel of the Lord and Satan. And Satan is accusing Joshua the high priest of all these kinds of sins. And you know what? Satan was right. Joshua had committed all those things that he's accusing him of before the angel of the Lord. And how does the angel of the Lord respond? He says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke you. Even though he was completely correct on accusing Joshua, the angel of the Lord said, the Lord rebuke you. And what did Satan do? He didn't say, yeah, but. He shut up. Because when God speaks... It's done. Who's the angel of the Lord in that story? The pre-incarnate Jesus, before he took on human flesh. 
Because this is the authority that Jesus, the Son of God, has. When he tells Satan to shut up, he shuts up. When he says you're forgiven, you're forgiven. And there's coming one day when he will say with an authoritative cry, rise. And your grave cannot hold you. Death cannot say no. You will rise because Jesus, the Son of God, declares it. This is the authority that Jesus has. He is the Son of God of God, the Holy One of God, that no one and nothing can ever contradict because He's the Holy One of God who has all power, all authority in heaven and on earth. This is our Savior. And how do the people respond when seeing this? Here's what we're told. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. They were so amazed at the power and authority of Jesus. He simply speaks, and the demons listen. This is your God, your Savior, the powerful Son of God who defends you from Satan, who frees you from guilt, whose word covers your shame, who will one day raise you from your grave. It's this powerful Jesus who has given you his powerful word. When we open up scripture, we don't open up just another history book. We don't open up just a commentary on who God is. We open up God's word. And as we read God's word, as we preach God's word, as we hear God's word, God's word is that powerful still today. He will free you from your guilt. He will free you from anxiety. He will soften your heart to forgive. He will uh, defend you against Satan's attacks. He will free you from the temptations. It's all through his powerful word. And And we hold it in our hands. And so let's be amazed at our Savior Jesus. Let's look at his powerful word and see what it does in our life. He changes everything. And his word is the powerful Son of God, his word come to us. Let's be amazed and let's spread the news about him. Your last point today. Be amazed at his powerful word and what it does for us. As we read his word, our hearts will be softened. As we read his word, faith will be strengthened. As we read his word, we will live in the confidence and boldness of knowing that the Son of God, who has authority over heaven and earth, over the demons, is also our Savior who's on our side. He will defend us, protect us, and raise us one day. Let's grow in his powerful word this year. Let's pray. Gracious Savior, we thank you uh, that you are the powerful Son of God. Uh, You have control over the demons because you are their God. You are not their Savior. Uh, That is reserved for people. Uh, Jesus, your holy name, uh, which means Savior, is reserved for us, your children. That is a humbling thought, uh, that the the demons and the angels, the demons who are, are far more powerful than we are, they don't get to call you Jesus, but we do, because you are our Savior. We thank you for being the Son of God and, and the power that you have. We stand in awe of the power that you have, uh, the power that raised you from the dead, the power that makes the grave listen, the power that makes demons and Satan listen, 
Uh, We thank you that you have that power and that in your grace and mercy, you use that power for our benefit. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you declare that we're forgiven. Uh, For those of us who are here who may be struggling to forgive themselves, uh, we stand assured and in confidence knowing that we're forgiven because you, the Holy One of God, declares it so. We thank you for that. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, the grace that gives us your powerful word that we get to carry around in our pockets, that have on our shelves. Let us be in your word this year uh, because it's that word that still has the power because it's from you. And so we ask you to uh, bring that word into our hearts, bring the change that's needed, and bring the confidence and trust of knowing that you're the Holy One of God who will raise us one day. We look forward to that day when we get to see you and be with you and live with you forever. Be with us. We ask all this in your holy name. Amen.